Kia ora everybody and thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Coach's Corner podcast. I'm really pumped um, for this episode because my favourite thing about our guest today is he gets you to rethink about what you're doing and how you could be doing it, doing things better. Um, with 20 years of experience working across a number of different sectors from government and education to business and high performance sport, he is the man. But most importantly, he's a proud dad and a well-being expert um, who has passion to make a difference in our young people's lives, mental skills coach, John Quinn. Welcome in, Quinny. Thanks for jumping on today. Thank you very much. It was a very nice intro. I mean, it was, yeah, hopefully I can live up to some of those things. Yeah, well, a lot of it is actually <laughs> copy and pasted from the bio that you've got. Yeah, you've already got printed out, so I've just kind of rebigged it away. So yeah. a little bit of plagiarism. Perfect. No, it's fine. Thank you. Um. Mate, again, like thanks for jumping on. Um, and just before we we press record, um, just recently we had the pleasure of um you presenting at our secondary schools workshop that we had, um, that we hosted with in support of New Zealand rugby. But a big thing was why we needed you there with two reasons. Um, and this is probably off the back of a podcast that I listened to with that you did with Jay. Um yep. and the first one was around your comment to being high performance and well-being and belonging and your yep. second comment around your popcorn analogy which I just think is um super groovy so maybe we might touch in on that a little bit later on yep. um but those both those remarks kind of got the old gray matter firing up around um what can we do better as a union but what can we do better as coaches and parents and administrators and schools and everything around um around Dangatahi and, and their involvement in sport because, yeah, you talk so passionately about it in that podcast. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping into that. But before we crack in, do you want to take us through a wee journey around kind of what got you interested in the line of work that you're doing and um, yep. kind of where you started out and to where we are today? Oh, look, I was, I've been really lucky. And I use that word because... Um, I kind of fell into this work. I mean, initially, uh, I trained as a social worker because I always wanted to work with young people. Um, so from the old worked in residences and the old days, child youth and family, worked at probation and bits and pieces like that. And I really enjoyed working with young people, and particularly, I suppose, young people through, I suppose, youth justice and bits and pieces. So I did that for about five or six years, really enjoyed it, and then kind of got to a point where I was working with them, but I just knew I needed some more tools and skills to work with these young people. And... Um, so I went back to Vasti and did my master's in counselling. And this is, I suppose, where the luck part comes in. So when I was just about finished, I had one paper to go. And, and the, the supervisor at the time was a guy called Bob Muntai, who um, was a big sports fan. I think he used to actually commentate the basketball in New Zealand in those days. And um, this is going back 20-odd years. And he goes, why don't you do something around sports psychology? And I went, mm, sure, why not? Um, and there wasn't really much around in New Zealand in those days. You probably had, obviously, Gilbert was, was around... Uh, Gary Hermerson, uh, Ken Hodge and, and Dave Hadfield were probably the kind of pioneers potentially in the space in those early days. And so I got a, a guy called Ashley Light and took me on and supervised me for a couple of years. And I spent a lot of time, I mean, there wasn't really any papers you could do. So a lot of time researching around mental skills and spent a lot of time talking to people and kind of fell into it through that. And at the time I was working at St. Andrews College, so I kind of used the 
the kids there has crashed their dummies, I suppose. And and practice some of it. And I reflect back on some of my work I did. I went, wow, shivers. You know, hopefully I've evolved from that. But also some of it's actually still the same. <clears throat> some of the same principles are still the same. So kind of from there, you know, I, I played a lot of cricket. So I knew some of the Canary Cricket boys and then kind of said, hey, let's play around the space. And it just kind of kept evolving. So that's what kind of got me into it. And, and I probably got, into it at the right time because at those days I think there was New Zealand rugby and, and Spark in those days were trying to um, encourage more people in the space so they then put workshops on it was either once a year or twice a year where they'd set five at 15 of us up to Wellington and would watch a test match or a super game and then we would sit in a room with people like again Gary Hermison, Ken Hodge, Dave Hadfield and, and Rod Corbin and some of these pioneers of that and we'd sit there and almost have a um, I suppose uh, tertiary education through these guys and there was people like Dave Galbraith, Kylie Wilson, Jason McKenzie, Pete Sanford, um, a lot of people like Nat Fraser who were all part of it and we kind of were able to ride this journey of growth and learning um, and as mental skills became more more popular and I suppose it really tipped post to 11 when, when obviously the All Blacks won the World Cup, I think that really gave it some credibility because before that mental skills were still seen as you know, it's a deficit model. You've got to be saying broken before we, we do it. Uh, I think the work with Gilbert and Kerry Evans post to 11 really kind of normalised it a little bit more and it kind of grew from there. So that kind of got me into this space, but I've always been interested in, in young people and in supporting young people. So it kind of went hand in hand um, yeah. because, you know, a lot of my work is within high performance, but also I still do a lot of work within high schools and, and young people. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I worked in education for 20 years and I suppose that's a bit I, I've noticed, you know, when I first worked in education school was um you know sport was still really innocent um and it was what it used to be what i can remember it to be like you know you train once or twice a week and you play on the weekend it was all happy days and then i don't know early 2000s something changed if someone drank some winning formula whatever it was and, and it suddenly became this professional beast and, and um it's got it to where we are now. Um, and I, I suppose because I see both ends, I see the impacts on these young people. And, and look, it's not all negative, but there's some really positive stuff. But I'm seeing more negative stuff with, uh, you know, professionalism of, of schoolboy and girls sport. Um, and it just worries me. And I've been lucky with the, the academy. because the academy for nearly 16 years now. So I've seen some of the guys come through, but also some of the guys not come through. Um yeah you know, around it. And that's not because of talent. It's because of other things that they probably haven't been equipped with through schools and through other things. So, and then you chuck on the mental health stuff that we're all battling with at the moment and the latest stats come out from that aren't Rosie reading, that's for sure. You have the earthquakes, the shootings and everything else and then COVID. It's, it's a bit of a cluster. Um, and I suppose the really thing that, it's always stood out to me, but, you know, during the COVID time, um, it was interesting to one of the kids because they enjoyed their sport the most during COVID. I mean, well, why is that? You know, because you missed out a lot of sport and missed out in tournaments. And they said, because no one came to watch us. They went Latin. So there was no parents there. Um, you talked to referees. They really enjoyed it because there was no sideline abuse. And it kind of kept me thinking around, well, man, we were just missing this, aren't we? Because the kids are saying, look, just let us play. Yet we're making it this more professional Um and as I said to that group the other day, you know, there's, there's a lot of egos involved in this. It's a shame because we've taken innocence away and we need to somehow bring it back. And we can still, you know, provide really healthy programs and programs that develop our athletes, but not at the cost of what's happening now, I think, yeah, um, around it. So, and this isn't a rugby issue. This is a sport issue. This is lots of sports. So yeah. it's, it, it, it just really worries me because I'm seeing the negative impacts of it. Yeah. Just with that, and um, we've got some topics that we're, that we're going to get through and I kind of but something just kind of um, piqued my interest. So you, with that parent piece, 
and I don't know, like I don't have the the I guess as much knowledge as as you do, but as a as a, also a, a father of two, um, how much is it like parents just want to see their kids succeed and want to see them happy at the moment and losings like when they see their child either not get selected for a team or or losing losing a game or a fixture how much does that like for us as parents that kind of hurts us is it is it is there a little bit of that or is it is it more oh, parents egos it's a bit of both i mean it's a really yeah. good point i mean and i remember both my kids played sport and i had to really you know bite my tongue at times because some of the stuff I, I, to be fair they, they had really good experiences through the school there at Marion it was it was great but there was there was times there where they were struggling and as a parent I could have intervened but it's like well this is how we build resilience this is how they actually learn that winning isn't the scoreboard and this is the problem is that we see winning as the scoreboard or winning is making the team who cares just let them play I mean we get caught up in the stuff which is completely irrelevant um, to the actual lives we actually our role as parents is to, is to be redundant you know, we want our kids to be actually be independent as, as, as quickly as they can so they can actually stand their own two feet. So there's that bit about parent. We all want our kids to be happy, but if we keep rolling the road for them and making it making it really smooth, that's not going to make them any happier Yeah, because they're not actually going to learn the skills to manage their own happiness with it. So as parents, I try to say, look, it's okay for your kids to struggle. It's okay for them to fail. It's okay if they miss out on the team. Now, don't be wrong. If you've got a coach there who's not playing them consistently, well, I think as a parent, you step in and go, hey, what, what's this about? You know, because it is about playing. But what's wrong with our kids struggling? You know, what's wrong yeah. with the ability to, to lose 10 games in a row? Because trust me, don't. Most of them actually don't care. You know, I remember I said this in the comments years ago when a school I was at, and, and that school lost to another school by a considerable amount of points in, in a game of rugby. And, I was in my office Monday and five or six of the boys came in the first 15 and they were kind of going, you know, a bit disappointed, but rah, rah, they'd, they'd got over it. They were great, you know, they were disappointed, but they'd moved on. And, you know, three weeks later, we're still getting phone calls from parents unhappy with this game because, you know, they'd lost. And that's the bit we're losing that little bit of perspective. It's a game of footy. I mean, the All Blacks lose games, life goes on. Um, yeah. But, you know, as parents, you know, we've got to almost redefine what is winning, you know. So when you say to your kids that winning's not a scoreboard, particularly a schoolboy and girl level, because it's the biggest kids that won, let's be honest. It's not talent ID, it's maturity ID. So we would ID the bigger kids because they're faster and stronger. But let's teach them how to lose. It's been okay to lose. That's that's your resiliency piece. So to answer your question long-windedly, <laughs> there is yeah. layers to it. But I think as parents, our role is to, if they're not on the team, we'll say to them, that's okay. It's not going to define you if you're not on the team. So what's your, what can you do now? Can you work a little bit harder? Is there some schools you can work on? But I don't mean you define by whether you make the team or whether you win or lose. Because once that happens, then you're putting your happiness into someone else's hands. And I don't know whether this is Robbie Dean's um, story or he's just got it from somewhere else, but he talked years ago about, you know, when he first made the first 15 at Christ College. You know, he runs home and says to his daddy, you know, really excited, hey, Dad, guess what? You know, I've, I've made the first 15. Yet. And his father looks at him and goes, well, son, that's one person's opinion, you know? <laughs> and that's the thing about it is that it is one person's opinion if you're in the team or not in the team. So let's not let, let that one person dictate yeah. whether you're you're a happy person or a sad person. Yeah, that's cool. Um, oh, that's a cool wee takeaway, that one. Yeah, Robbie's got some great, great stories around yeah. that. I can imagine that was from him. Um, yeah. So I guess what we were talking about um, at the conference was a little bit around, um, and you've alluded to already around that professionalism that's kind of crept into that um, that space, especially around our our Dangatahi. Um, 
so how do you first of all like how do you define high performance yeah like it's a really good question because there's not really many high performance programs in New Zealand if we're going to be honest and then uh, high performance is relentless and it's uncompromising you know is that everything is around aiming towards that performance and gearing towards that performance and and Within reason, that becomes the sole focus. Well, why would you want a 15-year-old to have that or 16-year-old to have that? It makes no sense at all because you actually want them balanced. And, and you look at some key athletes, I mean, Richie Moanga, when he was at St. Andrews, you know, rugby, touch, volleyball, basketball, uh, all those through the year 13. Like the Tom Walsh shot putter, he was still playing senior cricket at 20. Yeah. Um, played all the way through. So there's enough evidence that, you know, that, that early specialisation doesn't work. But also that there's more evidence now going, the kids don't want this because an example I saw that they were someone explained to me it's like you know when you go to those parent teach interviews um, and, and you sit down in the primary school and you sit in those little seats and it's really uncomfortable well that's because you're an adult and they're kids seats but that's what we're doing we're doing another way around we're actually putting kids in an adult seat and it's just as uncomfortable for them yeah um, around it so We've got to work out, you know, high performance. It's a program. It's a lifestyle. Well, schools can't have that. And I still challenge when people talk about their high performance programs at school because they're full of shit. There's no such thing as a high performance program at a school. And there shouldn't be one either. Um, it's, it's, it, school was around educating and growing these young ones. They actually become lifelong athletes because from a well-being point of view, we know sports really hit good for our well-being from a connection, from a belonging, from learning to play with others, exercise, all those benefits from sport are massive. So if their experience at high school is not a good one, they're going to tend not to play. And we're seeing this across lots of sports, you know, and this is where, you know, snowboarding and skateboarding and these kind of mountain biking, the kids kind of loving that because no one coaches them. They can do it whenever they want and no one tells them what to do. So it's not a bad gig um, around it. So, you know, high performance is that uncompromising environment where that's all you're doing. Well, that's not school and it shouldn't be school. Um, school should be a place of that growth. It should be a safety place. It should be a place that kids can make mistakes and have opportunities. But at the moment, the popcorn that pops the quickest is getting the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so where does, so for you, like where does high performance sit then? So if it's not at school, is no, it? It's, look, it's, it, it's, in, it's in the franchises. It's in, uh, whether it's rugby or cricket rumors, as they move into that, where they're actually met, ready to, to manage some of that stuff. I mean, High performance is really tough, and this is the thing that people don't understand. I mean, we see, I don't know, the X amount of athletes who make a lot of money, and there's a small amount that do. Most of them don't across most sports. You look at rugby, netball, cricket, are our three professional ones, basketball to a point, but no one else really makes a lot of money to, you know, realistically um, around it. So we've got to work out, you know, it sits within the unions and, and the club, in the franchise clubs, your super clubs, that's when you want to start understanding what a high performance looks like and educating the 18-year-old who comes into the academy. What does that look like? But to expect an 18-year-old to make good choices, you're pushing shit uphill. They're not going to, they're 18, because none of us did. So how do we educate them and support them through that first three to four years so they're ready to actually play super rugby and, and become, you know, where they want to get to in that high performance environment. But the problem we have now is they're getting younger and younger in that environment because a lot of more players are going overseas. You know, now with two extra teams, the, the talent pool is getting pulled that way bit more and we're seeing more and more younger players come in. But we're expecting them to behave as a 25-year-old when they're 20 Yeah. Um, around it. And, you know, we've even seen, as I said, the, the academy system used to be a really clear three, three to four-year process. It was almost an apprenticeship. And if you're really, really good, you might have come out in the end of year two, year three, and, and got caught up by the NPCs or um, move into Super Rugby. And now they're coming out after year one. 
uh, and going into super franchises. And again, and now that you look at, you know, you don't hire a builder who's had one year apprenticeship because they haven't got the tools literally to do the job, but that's what these young ones are coming through. And it's a really, you know, high performance is a very vulnerable place because you and I might get a performance appraisal once a year. They get it every single day and it's a public one. And so, you know, it's not the physical side of it. Sometimes these guys, sometimes it is and girls, but it's the, it's the mental and emotional. How do you manage not playing? How do you manage from being a schoolboy star, girl star, then you don't play? And it's not actually not playing. It's next to me every week. Your mates going, why aren't you playing? I thought you'd be playing this year. Why aren't you playing? And parents going, why aren't you playing? Everyone's asking, why aren't you playing? And then it, it, it's a tough gig to manage that. Um, so we're going to work out how do we actually manage when we bring these young ones into high performance or do we actually try and hold them back? And that's the dilemma a lot of sports are having at the moment. Uh, and rugby is probably the one that struggles the most because if, if we have a young guy coming through in Canterbury we want to hold on to and we want to groom him to come in, if we don't contract them, someone else will. And what you're seeing now with players is five or six years ago, and I'm seeing this in all sports, players wanted to be a black cap or an all black or whatever it is now they want to be a professional player so their allegiance to to where they were and where they live is, is getting more and more minimal um so they will go where the opportunities are and other places because of opportunities but the problem is that sometimes at 2021 they're not necessarily emotionally ready for those opportunities some are don't get me wrong yeah but i'm seeing more and more who aren't and it's a real struggle for them and and so where does because you're an expert of well-being where does well-being sit in high performance it should sit first and foremost. It should sit in any industry. Yeah, <laughs> that's the reality of it. Um, and you just have to open the paper now. Is that high performance has had some real challenges in this space the last five or six years, and then there's still reviews coming. Um, rugby's in the process of looking at what this can look like um, and getting some understanding of it. Everyone is. I mean, the problem with wellbeing, we haven't really defined it that well, and we haven't worked out what does it look like. Um, and what do you, you think can still. We're human over human over human being over human doing. Let's focus on the human first and foremost. The problem we've got is we've got KPIs. Uh, the problem we've got is we're chasing the wrong stuff um, around. And this is a hard part. It's easy for me to fire these shots and say this is what they should do. We're going to What does it look like practically? If we if we want well being first and foremost, what does it look like in our interactions? What does it look like in our communication? What does it look like in what we actually value? Um, and you look at it from a mental skills point of view. Again, careful how I say it, but I look at rugby. You know, they were the first ones to cut mental skills out of most of the franchises when COVID kicked it. Most other sports kept us on or even increased our hours. So it was interesting because I go across lots of the sports. It was interesting watching how different sports manage things. Yeah. Um, and, and rugby cut back lots of different things um, around it. And so I was kind of going, well, you can see what they value here because it wasn't just within the Canterbury franchises or Crusaders, it was other franchises too. Is that the mental skills, nutrition were often the first ones that went um, around it. So you're kind of sitting there going, well, how do I know what you value? Well, show me your budget. Then I'll tell you what you value because that shows us what you value around it. So we've got to work out what do we actually really value and what does it look like from a practical day-to-day basis you know, around it. And the problem, because it's seen as soft skills, um, it can't always be measured, um, but there is ways of doing it. So how do we actually put it first and foremost? So how do we really focus on what's best for this player? And we need, you know, the franchises and he's on rugby that the agents, the managers, um, the family to go, what's best for this player? Well, some of these players, the best thing is they stay right here at home and we manage them for another year. But unfortunately, there's too many agendas. So those players can get snapped up and sign somewhere else. And that's that's where we need so many people on board with us 
to go, well, what's best for this human being right in front of us? Well, the best thing is they stay at home and we develop them. Well, that's good and dandy, but you're just not offered 80K to go up there. I'm taking that. Yeah, geez. Um, you mentioned something around in the um, in the workshop that we did that was pretty um, pretty eye opening. And again, what is one of those things that that piqued my interest around um, one of the one of the one of the players that you're working with? How at his school that he was at his first fifteen, he was the well, one of well there were thirteen players that stopped playing rugby because I just had yeah. enough. Are you able to tell tell a little bit more about that story? Again, it was, a, it was a, an academy player a few years ago. Um, good guy. It wasn't from Canterbury, uh, other parts of New Zealand. And they said their rugby experience was so dominated by winning. The coach was so focused on winning um, that the experience became a bit of a waste of time for them. And it didn't become fun. Now, fun can be many things, but it didn't become engaging for them. And, and I was sitting there going, how are we doing this now? whether that's only half right and six players didn't play the way it shouldn't be happening that I don't mind players not playing because they just don't like the game anymore um, you know their mates aren't playing that kind of makes sense but it's my experience most athletes don't play their sport because of adults um, so here's a first 15 a very successful first 15 and, and you know a, a very prominent school and I'm going how are we allowing this to happen Where's the, who's gatekeeping some of this you know and what you're seeing now, as you know, is there's a lot of schools with big budgets. They're, they're employing, you know, basically really good coaches. But I always wonder who's auditing some of that, you know. Um, and, and look, you look at last year, the game at AMI, and it went to the, ran the coaches at half time, and the coaches were still giving it if this and if that and smash this. And you're kind of going, have we not learned anything around coaching over the last few years? You know, it was a te- televised game. I'm not knocking this coach. Probably wasn't a great moment for him but at what stage is that okay to be talking to kids like that not being aware the tv cameras there but also that's our language that's that's how i've developed our coaching so kids aren't stupid kids you know they don't care how much you know to know how much you care and i've seen enough kids you know through the academy through and through other schools who there's the experience is not nice and i'm going well I don't mind if it's not nice because you've got to do a yo-yo or you've got to tackle and it's really hard or you're injured. That's that's understandable, not nice. But why are the adults making this uncomfortable? Why are the adults almost letting their self-worth get caught up in whether the team wins or not? And this is a real challenge for the coaches. And it got brought up at that conference because one of the coaches there said, look, you know, if we're doing what you're saying, you know, we may not have our jobs. You know, because the schools probably may not back some of this. Because it is around development. It is around making sure everyone plays. And that's a problem in itself then, you know, because schools see this as um, a way of promoting. I mean, again, I've had parents ring me um, about their kids and they've gone to, you know, sessions, you know, pre-season parent evenings where coaches have got it and they're saying this is the best program in New Zealand and this is that and this is that. And it's like, well, what does that even mean, um, Miranda? Why don't we work together as a community in Canterbury to go, how do we get the best schoolboy rugby players, not the best school team how do we get the best scoreboard rugby players how do we actually promote it so when they all these guys finish in year 13 they all go to club footy they all go out there because that's what we need club footy's dying you know i mean i don't know how many co- how many captains in senior rugby are probably 21 at the moment it's like that's when you used to debut at 21 not be a captain at 21 yeah. 
Um, so how do we actually collectively go, well, look, this isn't working. And if people think it is working, I'm really happy to have that conversation. I don't think it is. Um, but how do we actually make a community and do it right and, and put all our egos and our agendas aside and go, how do we make the Crusader competition the best competition because it develops players, it gives guys opportunities, it allows those late developers to actually play. And let's see if they can play or not um, around it. And I think if we can somehow do that, and again, it's a bit of a utopia and rainbow and unicorn kind of moment, but why should we not be doing that? Because, you know, who won the competition the Crusaders three years ago? i got no idea. I don't really care. Probably you don't even know either. None of us probably know because guess what? We don't care um, around it, you know? So we get caught up in these teams. When they do win, then what? The All Blacks win the World Cup. Yeah, guess what? Nothing. The woman won two weeks ago. Guess what? Life's gone on around it. So if we can then get a situation where we understand, well, what does winning look like? How do we define winning? How do we actually teach them these life skills which will allow them to manage this mental health crisis we're dealing with through sport? And allow these guys then to leave and girls leave school sport and go, man, that was awesome, bloody hard. And I didn't play as much as maybe I wanted, but maybe I didn't work as hard enough compared to I didn't play as much as I wanted because the coach didn't select me at all. I, I just think we've got opportunities here if we can get it right. Yeah, I know that's cool. Um, we've highlighted that you've done a little bit of work in the, um, or a fair bit of work in the educational sector. Um, I guess where are some challenges? what were some challenges that you faced on and then what are some things that um i guess you learned about it that we can that we should as our listeners or even us at the at the union here need to need to understand well look it's just, i think it's just about how do we get the game back how do we make it a game where you know 30 years ago you trained twice a week and you had life um, now we train four or five times a week. And look, there's an aspect to that. I think the first 15, from a health and safety point of view, they're all bigger. So we need to probably learn about them a wee bit more. But how do we actually let the kids have a life? I mean, there's, there's some programs that are almost training five days a week. Um, from, you know, the flush session on Monday to training Tuesday to gym Wednesday, Thursday, Friday captain's run. It's like, well, professional players do that and they don't go to school for six hours a day. So... You know, what is school sport actually meant to do? So I said, step back and go, what is school sport there for, for a start? And then get educating parents around it is that, you know, whether your kid's a superstar now or not, it doesn't make any difference. You know, it's, it's later on. And what are the tools they're actually trying to get from this? You want your kid to be a lifelong learner. You want your kid to actually be involved in the sport. And how do we educate parents and not sell them this dream about this is the best rugby program in New Zealand, so your kid's going to have a good chance of making this team? Well, that's bollocks. Um, around it. So let's actually sell a dream of, you know, if your child comes to the school, we're going to give them a chance to learn about resiliency. We're going to give them a chance to learn about leadership. And we're going to give them a chance to fail a hell of a lot because if they can fail a lot, it means they're trying and it means they're growing. And through that failure, they may play some games and they may not play some games. We're going to make sure we give everyone an opportunity to get out there and they can earn that right um, around it. So it's just going back to what we used to have. We, we don't need, I don't believe, all these programs. You keep... You're looking at what's happened in the States and we're probably 10 years behind some of that stuff, um, you know, around it. Where they've now just got this college program where the big colleges get bigger and the small ones get smaller um, around it. But their pyramid's massive. Our pyramid's getting smaller and smaller. So how do we give the game back to the kids and let the kids play? And let's get rid of sevens in the summer so the kids can play cricket. Let's get rid of pre-season training before Christmas so the kids can actually have a holiday. Let's actually take away all the things we've put in place because we think it will help them. When the kids know if they don't do it, they might not make the team. Well, let's actually take that away and actually allow them to be kids again because that's what they are. 
Yeah. I really like that um what you just said there around earn that right. And I think before before I came into this role, I was also in used to work in community as well with rugby clubs and stuff like that. And so I've had a had a couple of catch ups with kids that are transitioning out of school rugby, transitioning into club rugby and wanting to, and like you said, around the academy stuff, like they'll do that for three years or you work by the time you turn 21, that's when you debuted as a, as a player. And now that there's a lot of kids coming out wanting to go straight into senior rugby and then just trying to have that conversation with them and just go, look, I've seen, I've seen you play schoolboy rugby up against year 11s, year 12s and year 13s. Yeah. But you're about to jump in, in a, up on a field up against grown men that have got, you know, 20 caps, 50 caps, 100 caps that know how to use their body, that are physical, that are brutal, that don't get that probably are looking forward to playing someone that's 18 years yeah. old to peg them down a wee bit. Like, yeah, you may be physically ready, but are you are you mentally ready for this? for this challenge and I think that's yeah there was just kind of they want it look, yeah. look I agree and it's probably the last two years is the first time I've heard players young players in the academy talk about being scared when they're playing because they're up against them you know and playing being a superstar in first 15 rugby is quite different from the seniors and I'd, look they're not going to do it but I'd love almost canary rugby to go right first year out of school it's all Colts Let's make that Colts this dream competition where the guys can be superstars, the girls can be get out there, play the game, because then we can actually teach them the skill and they can practice that skill to the level they're ready for. What we're doing is we're teaching them skills at another level, it seems, which is a little bit harder. And then so that learning phase becomes a little bit, a little bit harder because they're not going to take the risk at seniors because the outcome is a little bit more important or in their head that's more important. So I'd love to see us go, I mean, again, years ago it never used to happen. There was Colts. If you're really good, maybe second year play seniors. Now, everyone's playing seniors around it. And I think this is a bit, well, how do we actually have guidelines around this? Uh, and actually go, no, first year out, let them get their first year at university out of the way. You know, find their feet. You know, understand what it's like to have independence. Understand what it's like to be actually going drinking bars with no one worrying about ID. Let's actually give them a chance to do that stuff. And then we might expose them to the senior stuff. So, uh, look, I know they're not going to do it, but I think that's what's really changed is, is these guys, these players are getting brought in so much, so much earlier. And they're given roles. And, and some of them really do really well. Don't get me wrong. But lots don't um, around it. And also what they also find is when they're going, the ones who don't quite make seniors and come from the schoolboy program or girl program, they're going, well, Colts is a bit of a waste of time because there's no resources, the coaching's average, and then they stop playing a game too. Yeah. So this is the bit, unfortunately, I think we've got to make decisions around, well, if we if wellbeing is really important for well, the player wellbeing, let's get them down there and do their do earn their rights, be superstars, develop themselves. Easy to develop down there, and then the following year when they're twenty, they start bringing them up. But they are all in a hurry, and often you know when I sit down with an eighteen, nineteen year old athlete, I go, look, you know, I'm really hoping you get sort of signed when you're twenty two, twenty three, and they're going, what do you mean? I said, well, that's generally the age where you kind of you matured a bit, you understand yourself a wee bit more. Um, you know, you, you probably finished your study, you're probably ready to be signed. They're going, well, I'm going to be signed next year. It's like, well, do you really want to be signed next year? Um, be the 38th player, not even sit on the bench for a whole year. So how we just slow that down? And look, at doing wrong, it's, it's challenging because they have to fill their rosters. 
there's demands if you don't sign them, someone else will. But that's where what's New Zealand Rugby's role in this team and what's the Players Association's role in this team. And actually, if player welfare is most important, well, we wouldn't be signing 19, 20-year-olds. Yeah. You know, cool. Yeah, yeah. There's some really, um, that, I think that, that one there, that message you said around that under 21s, like, or at least having one year at Colts before transitioning into like, there is a. Well, be a superstar. Go out there and, and be a superstar and play, and play with your mates and let all the, all the guys do there. Because what you might get then is a couple of late developers might go, oh, shit, all the, all the good players are playing. I'll go and play Colts. And then they might have a standout season and then they could develop too. So, you know, you, you want to play with your mates. Why do we play sports? Play with our mates. That's yeah. what we do. You know, so if we can almost, you know, clubs and, and schools working together and almost, right, you know, St. Bede's, right, here's, here's the six guys, eight guys leaving St. Bede's, right, all go to Marist Colts. So they're all playing together. Then you've got more chance. You know, if you're St. Andrews, you go this way, Christ College, or Rangiora, you know, wherever yeah. you'll go, then you're going to have these really cool Colts teams basically around it and we can put some really good coaches down there around it and wrap things around them and then we, we may develop I mean look it's not the it's not going to fix the world don't get me wrong but I think it's going to allow them to, to develop at the right speed uh, that first year of university is always challenging and uh, we see every year in the academy that first year academy it's hard because they're, they're coming you know I was reading a book the other day it talked about you know if you want to play in the jungle you can't live in the zoo um, but unfortunately school ball rugby is like being in the zoo everything's done for you you know, yeah. it's all given to them and, and things are compromised at times that you're the best player, but you've been playing up with it, but we're still playing this week because it's an important game. Well, let's not do that. Let's give them a chance to um, perform, um, connect with their friends, play that last couple of years together before they potentially go up to high honours. Yeah. Now that's, uh, um, I'm just writing down that little saying, you can't play in the jungle when you live in the zoo. Uh, that's a, a that's a cool wee takeaway. Um we're still, I guess, to a point, like I know that our volunteer numbers are, are dwindling down, but we still have, I guess, we're still pretty lucky that we do have some really passionate parents that want to be involved in their in their child's sporting, whether they're a coach or a manager or yeah. whatever they are, they're there, they're, whether they're just the taxi running them around. What's some, I guess, important key messages for those parents like that are bringing up athletes that do want to go to that next level or... Well, maybe they they don't even want to go to that next level, but they just want to be the best. They just want to make sure that they yeah. are they're doing best by their team. Yeah, the parenting one's really tough, especially if you're coaching. I mean, I'll take my hat off to coaches who coach their own children. It's a real challenge, but just in general, if you can really understand that, you know, the, the sport's still part of what they do. It's not who they are. Um, it's never going to define them, and it's it, it's got to be their dream around it. You know, if you look at it, parenting, we're preparing them for the for the world. So what are the tools they need to manage the world around it? And if we can remember that, that if you're a parent and, and you just go and watch your kid, well, all you have to say to them when they, before the game is, mate, go and have fun. I love you. That's it. And then after the game, guess what? Did you have fun? What are you most proud of? I love you. That's it too. And understand, you know, there's a coach there to tell them other stuff. They're not really interested in talking about the game before the game. They're certainly not interested in talking about the game after the game. So it's just putting it in the context of where it sits and being really aware of you know, if you've got a family holiday and there's a big game on, go to the family holiday. That's actually more important than the game. We, we, we put sport in this really high thing that, you know, everyone's got to be there. If you're not there, you're going to miss a pathway. And, and sports suck parents into this. You know, you've got to do this and then this and this is where the pathway is. If they really want it and they're going to be good enough, they will get there. It doesn't matter what pathway they, they, they go. So as a parent, just put sport in perspective. 
um, you know, be careful wishing your kid becomes really good at sport because it's a really challenging environment for them. So as a parent, what are you doing then to give them the tools? So if we keep making that road nice and smooth, and that's not giving them the tools to manage high-performance sport because it's it's really hard. So how do you teach them to fall? How do you teach them to be able to get up? How do you, as a parent, when, when do you support them to get up? When do you let them just flounder and actually sit down there and wallow in that for a wee while before they learn to get up? So as a parent, as I said, if you're coaching, I'll take my hat off to you. That's awesome. Um, and we need more of them. Um, the other part to it is just making sure don't be that parent, you know, win or lose, just stay on the sideline and just shut up. doesn't matter what you yell on the field, they're not listening, they can't hear you, okay? If the ref's not that good, expect that at school boys, school girl rugby, the ref isn't going to be the best, it's not going to be a test referee, they're going to make mistakes. So just sit there, enjoy the game, watch it, and then after the game, say, well done son, well done daughter, love what you did there, love what you're doing, right, let's go, we're out of here. Let's not get caught up in it. Yeah. That, um, I was reading a book, I can't remember, I think it is, oh, Thinking Fast and Slow. Thinking Fast, yeah. Thinking slow. Yeah, yeah. And then there's there was a little bit that, oh, well, maybe it was Blink by Malcolm Gladwell around yeah. how when your heart rate gets over a certain beats per minute, you actually can't hear, you become quite tunnel vision and everything. So yep. there's no outside forces. And I think that there has, obviously his example was around police and when they get called out to um, situations and stuff like that, um, that generally when police go, their heart rate starts racing up and all that type of stuff because of what's happening chemically there. But it, it's the same with our athletes, isn't it? Like as soon as they start getting in there, getting out on the field, their heart rate's elevated. So they can't actually... They're still trying to figure out what they're doing on the field versus what mum and dad are screaming out or what even what the coach is screaming out at them. But also, if they're generally focused on their task, they're not going to hear it. And the analogy I use for athletes too is if you're focused, the white noise is always there. And it's like when you go to a cafe sometimes have a coffee, the radio music's always going. But when you're actually engaged in a conversation with someone, you can't hear it. It's not that they've turned it down. It's just your actual attention is on the person in front of you. And it's the same here. And, and when they're playing, is they don't really care what you say because they, they probably can't hear. And if they can hear, it probably means they've lost a bit of focus. But, you know, I remember years ago going down to the netball courts and just walked around for 10 minutes and had my phone and just put the audio on record and listen to it later on. And, and I didn't hear any laughter. I didn't hear, really hear a lot of encouragement. I heard a lot of kind of negative um, you know, come on, try harder, and that's not good enough. And again, this is a real snapshot, so don't take this as what happens all the time. But I just kind of went, how have we got to this point where people just aren't laughing, people just aren't having fun, you know? And that's what sport's for. Sport is about having fun. It's still a game. It's the Olympic Games. It's Commonwealth Games. It's still games. So how do we bring that fun factor in it? Is that win or lose, nothing actually changes. I mean, we think if we win, and I say this with athletes all the time, and the ones who are successful – learn this quicker is that if they make the team guess what so what nothing changes you know if you make it all black or probably your bank balance changes and you get more cut but nothing actually changes about you so let's kind of teach our young people to want to get better and aspire to get better because if you keep getting better that's in a sense of achievement not making a team is a sense of achievement because it goes back to robbie dance that's one person's opinion so we can build them and that, that keeps them more interested so they're not getting caught up or, you know i'm making teams i must be good well at schoolboy and girl level, you might often make teams because you're fitter and faster than everyone else. 
um, around it. So it's teaching our young people that the joy is the growth. The joy is getting better. What does better look like? And how do you keep getting better all the time? And let's train that mindset for them because otherwise we get caught up in, again, unicorns and rainbows. And it's just, it's not sustainable. And I say this with athletes all the time, that they, they, they achieve this goal of making the team. And then it's almost this big come down because they thought it would be different once they're there. Well, nothing's changed. You're still the same person. Um, so if we can, you know, as parents, we can teach our kids that is, let's not, you know, because we're such an outcome society and social media probably reinforces this too, you know. I always say to parents, don't keep putting your kids on social media when they make teens and they do all this sort of stuff. Because one, the kids don't really like it. And two, most of the people sit there, I mean, it becomes a bit of a Skype book. Because what about when the kid's been a bit of a shit kicker? Do you put that on there? No, you don't. You just put the good stuff. So the kids aren't stupid either. The kids pick up. When, when they've done good things or the parents say it's good things compared to other things. So why don't we start rewarding that character piece? Man, here's Johnny playing the game. They lost 5-0, but Johnny persevered the whole game. You know, Here's Joanne. They lost 37-0, and she was such a kind person to her teammates. You know, Showed leadership. That's the stuff we want to see. And a lot of people go, oh, that's all that touchy-feely stuff. No, that's the characteristics you want your young people to have, whether they become high-performance athletes or whatever it is, that's that human being touched to it. So let's reinforce the characteristics we want our young people to have, not the abilities we want them to have. Yeah, that's it, kind of like that Carol Dweck stuff that she talks about, like like praising the effort of what they've been trying to do. Like, okay, it's great that you did that, but you just haven't got it yet. Like you haven't achieved yet. But you're going to, if you persevere and you and you keep pushing, you're going to, you're going to get there one day. But, but, but it's like you, Ricky, today, if, if, if the boss only says to you, right, when you get to 10,000 listeners, I say, well done. Compared to your boss going, hey, listen to that podcast last week. Really loved your questions, mate. You did really well. You know? So then you're actually rewarding stuff authentically, consistently. And that's what builds that self-belief and confidence. Not waiting for that 10,000 listeners. Well, you can't control that. You can have the best podcast ever, but no one knows much about it or whatever it is, and no one listens to it. But you can still do a good job. So as a parent, if we can be doing it with our kids, you know, take the scoreline out of the equation. Often when I used to go and watch my kids play, especially netball, someone would come to me and goes, what's the score? And I'd honestly go, I've got no idea. But I, I, didn't, I didn't really care. I, does it matter who's winning and who's not who's who's winning? But more about, you know, did they persevere? Are they working hard? Do they thank the ref after the game? You know, do they show sportsmanship? All that stuff we actually want our kids to have, but that's the stuff we're going to start rewarding. And this is a, not the problem with schools, and some schools are certainly moving away from this, is that you know it's the same kids who go across the stage for the academic, the arts, and the sports awards every year. Same kids from year nine to year 13. Well, how do we actually reward that kid who's just persevered all the way through and shown that good character stuff and make it authentic for them? Because that could be that could be your late development. And yeah. so as parents, you know, we, we, let's start hunting the good stuff of what they're trying to do. So when... Johnny comes off and Joanne come off and we're not rewarding, hey, that was a great skip pass or a great grubber kick. It's like, wow, man, you had some good communication out there, didn't you? Because that's what they're looking for. Or your body language, or you stayed engaged in the whole game. Or, well, it must have been tough when you guys were down, but you just came up and your shoulders were back and you got into it. That was really awesome. They all feel good for it. And if you keep reinforcing the behavior you want, then that stuff starts coming through. So something that's been... Um... And I think that's the stuff that you're talking around, that feedback, the type of feedback that we give as coaches. And something that's probably been um, not bugging me, but probably been pressing at me is around like understanding probably 
psychology or the way that the mind works to try and um I guess best understand our athletes and how we or even yeah our athletes around how we best prepare them or or make sure that we are getting the best out of them what I guess what makes a great coach in your opinion like is it would it be some of the stuff around the the softest it's, sim- it's simple mate they care yeah you think about who's the person in your life who's been a mentor to you or has a, had a massive impact on your life and we've all got them if you think about the tour the, the qualities they had that, that it, one of the key ones they cared for you they supported you they listened to you, all that real basic stuff the beauty of coaching nowadays is so many experts out there you don't, you don't need to be an expert in everything but what you need to be is a relationship manager and the best coaches I've worked with are really good at that relationship manager. So they know who's in front of them. That's a, that's the key starting point. So, you know, so if you're a, a parent and you've got your kids under 14 rugby team or under 16 team, don't kind of think of all your plans. Meet the team and go, right, who's in front of me? What are their strengths? What are the things we can get out of them compared to putting what you think upon them? So that relational engagement, I can't stress enough. If you can... Create the space, and this is whether it's a work environment, whether it's um, a sporting environment, the best teams have authentic relationships around it. They don't all get on, you know, because that's impossible, but it's authentic and it's, it's trusting relationships. And I think at times we're in such a hurry to get out in the grass, and I had this battle, you know, with, with across lots of sports, you know, when the pressure comes on, the mental skills gets pushed aside and we go and train harder. Yeah, that's not what the problem is. It's actually the connections in the team. So, you know, when we talk about team building, it's not about going away for the weekend, rafting and climbing hills and jumping off stuff. It's actually sitting there going, who are you? What are you about? Where are you from? What are your fears? What are you really excited about? Let's take the time to actually understand who's in front of you because we can't coach everyone the same. You know, we can, we want, you know, it's almost your ability to, how do we treat everyone the same but different because we're all unique. And the best coaches, um, yeah, look, don't worry, they've got some technical, tactical skills, but they, the players feel cared for and they feel safe, which sounds a bit soft, but that's the key part to it. If we don't feel cared for, we tend to disengage. If we don't feel safe, we will tend to then hang back. So creating, and it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but psychologically safe environments, whether it's an under-14 team or a, you know an all-black team, the... the um, the theory behind both is just as important. Yeah, I know that's um, yeah, that care piece um, is huge. And I guess if um, if to layer on top of that is just if we are parents, and that's our whole thing of like we just want to care and look after these people or these these young athletes. Like we care as parents, why can't we do the same as coaches? It's kind of like the that title of coach means completely changes your personality of who you are. You become something completely different, which is like, I've seen that happen, like the nicest person, but then as soon as they step over the chalk or they put the whistle around their head, they're a whole different human. And it's just like, where, where does this come from? Cause this isn't, this isn't. Cause different. it's how. It's how they were coached. And yeah. this is where, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate to be around some really amazing people and learn from some amazing coaches in the last 20 or 25 years. And if I hadn't had that, I'd probably be lucky if one else. But I've, I've seen what success can look like. And, and you know, I've, I've been involved with teams with some amazing coaches and we've lost every year. I've been involved with teams with terrible coaches and they've won. 
And this is the bit about the coach is that, you know, sometimes they don't make that much of a difference. Sometimes they do, but the best coaches, the best leaders um, do those real basics. Well, and it's authentic, you know, they, they come in and they take that. And this is the key thing, it's that time. Um, and we're in such a bit rush because we get there and we've got an hour on the grass. So we're going to use that whole hour. Well, if you use that first 15 minutes to engage, to check, and particularly when you look at schoolboy, schoolgirl rugby, by the time you get to them, they've had six periods, okay? Out of those six periods, probably three of them suck, okay? The other three they tolerate, okay? They've probably had potentially no positive reinforcement all day, and all they want to do is get outside and run around because they're kind of okay at rugby. And then what we do, we give them cones to run around and we make them do stuff. It's like, well... Let's bring that fun bit. Let's actually stop. Pause. Okay, how was everyone's day? And, and ask it. Be clear about it. What was the best thing about today? Let's actually have a conversation. How's everyone tracking? What's the energy like? What do we need? What do we want to get out of today? Compared to okay, the, the, there's the second pod. There's the first pod. We're doing pod. I mean, it's just they're not robots. Let them play. Yeah. Um, around it, and I'm sure you know a lot of coaches listen to this going, yeah, but we need all that stuff. Do you? We didn't have it 30 years ago. Um, didn't have it 20 years ago to a point. So. What we need is these kids need to feel they don't care how much you know if they know how much you care. So what does that look like? And, and care can be, you know, dropping players and being hard on players. But if it's coming from a place of care and they trust and respect you, they will listen to you. And there's no different, think, again, think of the mentors in your life. They probably challenge you the most because it's coming from that place of care. But if you haven't got that relationship, it's very hard to then challenge. Now, again, context, you've got an under-14 rugby team and you see them twice a week. Well, it will take a bit of time. So be realistic about you. You look at a six-month season, you might see them 24 times or 30 times. Well, I just really encourage you, if you're a coach listening to this, to spend most of that time engaging with them, connecting with them, and then the 45 minutes you'll get more out of them compared to five minutes, right, let's get going, and 55 minutes of disengaged kids. That's, that's real cool. And I guess uh, this might lead into um, this kind of next question because I think – you're from what I'm hearing and from what I know is you're a huge evangelist for a long life, lifelong athletes and, and all the benefits that comes. Um, and we were pretty privileged as well, not to just have you at our um, secondary schools workshop, but we had Roger Wood from sport New Zealand and he actually um, he's been a guest on here and he had a pretty cool question um, to us back at a conference a wee while back around what could we be more deliberate about in our roles within our organisation to enable rugby to be more deliberate to contribute to sustained participations? And I'd like to kind of hear kind of your thoughts around what can we be more deliberate about as coaches, as... Look, again, I think there's a macro and micro level to this. I think from a macro, there's a big picture here is how do we get... How does Canary Rugby and Crusaders, Crusaders Rugby understand the values they've got and then how do they support those values? You know, So you've got to unify and serve our community. Well, what does that really mean? And how do we actually serve the community and, the, and unify? And I think the key there is unify. How do we actually unify the schools and get the egos out of it? Because there's some real egos in some of those schools, and that's what really worries me. And actually unify to say, how do we make the best competition for our young people? boys and girls, so they thrive and actually want to come through. So what does that look like and how do we then serve that, basically? Then that micro levels, well, as a coach or as a leader in your school with rugby, well, at the moment it's dying. And if you don't think it is, you've got your head in the sand. Uh, my experience is certainly some schools where rugby's almost looked at with they're a pack of arrogant so-and-sos because they 
every Friday afternoon they get in the bus and they go up to Marlborough and they miss school and rah, rah, rah. So at times, rugby hasn't got a great name in some of these schools. It's like, well, how do we start turning that around? Well, let's start engaging the whole community then. Let's start making it actually, this is what it's about. It's not about winning. We can actually celebrate the other stuff and bring everyone back involved so it's not kind of the rugby program, basically. Um, and just understand, well, what, what are the values that are going to drive our behaviour around this? And what is the why of sport? I mean, one of the questions we asked on that day of the coaches, you know, what does your team exist? And it was interesting, some really struggled to answer that question, which should be the, the easiest question to get an answer. The other part was, you know, how do we get more intentional around what does success look like? And let's really redefine success and redefine success for these coaches to support them that, you know, I think, I remember years ago, I'm assuming it's similar now, but the super contract for a coach uh, in New Zealand, I think when we had 15 teams, 15% of it was around winning. But 85% of it was around other areas from development to leadership to media, all these other things. But these are the things, the same thing. So how do we support schools and actually educating the schools and the coaches around this is what success looks like for you is that, you know, eight of those players are playing next year, that's success for you, you know, when they leave school or success is that they've improved their draw pass because that's a measurable thing and that, that's growth. Compared to success is if you win the competition or get top four. Um, so if we can move away from that, that doesn't suddenly mean we're being PC, it's not about winning. It's just redefining winning. Because the thing about schoolboy and girl rugby or schoolboy and girl sport, it, it comes in waves. You might have a great cohort. Happy days. You might have two or three years with just whatever reason, there's not many great players coming through, but you can still be a great coach during that time. But So how do we really reward the coaches who are actually really growing that stuff? And, and I look at, you know, when I was at St. Andrews with Mike Johnson, I see him as being one of the best coaches I work with. Scrum. I mean, he, he's that character piece. He builds really healthy relationship with the kids. And You know, I remember the year when I was there and he was coaching, I think they lost every game apart from the West Coast. But the boys enjoyed it. What does that tell you? You know, they didn't enjoy losing, but they enjoyed playing. And because Scrump and Mike Johnson are able to actually get the best out of them and actually understand this is what it looks like. You know, this is that resiliency piece. So let's keep persevering through. Now, again, the parents were losing their losing at times, but that's what happens sometimes. You have a cohort, just for whatever reason, they're not good yet. As you said, go back to Carol Dweck, got not good yet. But if we can keep them engaged and it's an enjoyable season, they then may play next year. That's what we want. Yeah. I know that's awesome. Um, sweet. Well, we'll jump into our quick fire segment. That's never so quick fire, because um, I, for some reason, it always pulls out um, a lot of questions. But you're inviting three people for dinner. Um, who are the three people, and what are you cooking? Oh gosh, is it is this family or is this this famous? It can be whoever, people? whoever. If you want to have family there, if you want to have have some people that you want to have a good. Good natter with to you. Look, I'd, I'm going to answer it two ways. One, I'd have all my family there, so that covers me. But then on the second one, um, who would I love to meet? Oh, uh, God, that's a good question. Um, Barack Obama would be interesting to meet um, and ask him. Um, who else? I, I suppose someone like Federer or Woods. I mean, I, I love athletes who has sustained brilliance because that's tough. You know, um, and the other one is probably Tina Turner. I was a big fan of Tina Turner when I was younger, and her story again is that for that resilience piece um, of how she came back and bits and pieces. So probably any of those three. What would be eight? What do they want to really? Because it's, it's their choice. Probably it's <laughs> probably Italian. I'm a bit of an Italian fan, so I'll probably go with that. Uh, are we passed the number, or uh, yep, 
Yeah, probably some garlic bread and a bit of pasta and then probably some cheese sticks and probably oh, pizza, yeah. probably quite a, quite a bit to you. <laughs> awesome. What's, um, and I guess it seems you alluded that you're a bit of a, you did a little bit with um, cricket as well as your sport, so you can choose here which way you want to go. What's one of your favourite rugby um, or cricket memories, be that whether you've been coaching them or, or playing? Um. <laughs> There's probably many. I just love it when you see people work really hard and they get a reward for it. And sometimes that reward is just their satisfaction. Sometimes that reward is winning stuff. Um, so any time, you know, there's probably a lot of individual stuff where I know how hard they've worked and, and they've got, sometimes not always the outcome, but they've, they've sometimes got something out of it. So, you know, I've been really fortunate to see some amazing and be around some amazing success. And, and that's always really nice. Don't get me wrong, but I really just enjoy, and it, sometimes it can just be a training or people doing things um, or people, the penny dropping. So it's probably not like an event or a game or something that happened, but just the ability to sit back. Um, you know, it probably wasn't rugby or cricket, but I remember I was really lucky to work with Emma Twig going into 211, 221 Tokyo Olympics. And, you know, she'd had fourth, fourth, and then she'd stopped and come back. And I remember watching that race and knowing what she'd gone through to come back um, the the perseverance then that got delayed Tokyo and you know Emma wasn't a spring chicken and then to come back and do it again and get through COVID um, and then to knock off what she wanted it was a pretty special moment to know you're you're inside of some of that um, but that's the same with, with other athletes too sometimes because COVID really threw the spanner in the works for a lot of people to be fair yeah um, around it so look I just love seeing anyone who perseveres and, and particularly through hardship because that is high performance sport and it's always nice to sit back and go, well, and that's with a, it's someone I know or just, you know, it's like your Roger Federer's who just consistently good. I mean, that, that always intrigues me, you know. It's you know, like a cricketer who's, they're on a double hundred and they keep going or, you know, you've got 14,000 test runs and they're still going. I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating mindset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the longevity of Federer is, yeah, is astounding of what, especially what he's managed to do to achieve. Um, that Emma Twig mentioning, um, I was pretty lucky. We just before I started here at the union with Sydney, they themed their um season based off of Emmett's twig because again they were fourth, fourth, fourth for so many years, <laughs> and so there was a lot of um a lot of connection there between what she did and they talked about gold medal yeah. standards and what that'll look like. Um, and then I came into this role and then had an idea of trying something out and got a hold of um Mike um Emma's rowing coach and yep. and he mentioned the work that you're doing and telling her to burn the forest down and all that type of stuff and um even even mentioned how sometimes you were just so brash with her and and in her face to be like when you're gonna get uncomfortable so let's I'm gonna make you feel uncomfortable and <laughs> And all that type of stuff. So it was um that really opened up the eyes to the coaches because they just probably saw that it was probably a lot of her just getting out on the lake and just rowing yeah. straight lines a lot of the time. But there was a lot more than yeah. that. Look, and it's a good example of what you're saying there is that we could do that at that level. We had a really strong relationship with it. So we could push those buttons. And the problem is that sometimes people hear these stories and go, right, I'm going to do that at a festive time. It's like, no, <laughs> don't do that down there. 
you know, it takes a lot of time to build those trusting relationships with the heel, with the team, and everyone else. We could start pushing those buttons. And you got to remember, say for Twiggy, we had a team of seven around her, I think, um, and we'd be in constant contact. We'd be monitoring stuff consistently. And you know, I remember um, a, little, a little bit off topic, but when she was over there, and um, Carolyn, who was one of the biomechanics, was it rooming with us, so she was like my little spy. And um, one morning, Carolyn said to me, oh, look, Twiggy just woke up and she said she just, you know, had a dream about coming forth again. And we're like, okay, it's good to know. So the next day I rang Twiggy and said, here you go. And she goes, yeah, good. I said, look, just be aware that, you know, getting close to this race, you'll probably start thinking about coming forth again. You might even have a dream about it sometimes. And she goes, oh, my God, that's just happened. It happened <laughs> last night. And I'm going, see, look, I told you it could happen, but if it does, that's okay. I'm moving forward. So it was quite funny because after she said, about two of those days, she goes, you bloody knew, didn't you? I said, oh, possibly. Yeah. Um, but again, so there was a whole team around here from high performance sport, but also there was her wife, there was her family. There's other players, and that's the bit about there's layers to this. There's so much that goes behind the scenes, as it does at Sydney Rugby, you know, to win that. There's so many things that go unseen. Yeah. Um, you know, basic around it. But as I said, when, when you steal that hard work done, you know, it, it is fulfilling when you watch someone achieve a, a childhood dream, um, you know, around it. And, you know, for her to do that, it was amazing. But also, I think if she hadn't, you know, she had to come forth too, we would have gone, cool. Because well, we, we actually did all we could. That's the beauty of that program. At the end of it, we all looked at each other and I said, look, we're pretty happy we're up to. There's not much more we could do. And that's the bit about, being content with that um so we're not getting defined by winning now look she did win and that was really nice for her um but that was never and that was interesting with her she said that was never going to define me where before it did fourth defined her yeah and it, and it didn't so yeah it was it was a yeah very nice program to go through and yeah. we're, we're back into it now i mean she's back back and we start the whole process again oh wicked um that's going to be an exciting journey as well um yeah. so next question is I guess who's your who's a coach that you've had that that's kind of had a positive impact on you, or your who's, who's been your favourite coach? Look again, I think I, I use the word luck. I mean, I've been around some amazing coaches from you know national teams to to, to school teams, and I think that they, they all bring something. And I, and I trust me, I learn from all of them. You know, from from your Razors to your Gary Steeds to your Dale yeah. Stevensons, who coached Tom um, to Mike. Um, to Mike Johnson at St Andrews. I mean, I've been really lucky that I've had really good coaches uh, around me who, who, you know, been able to teach me as much as hopefully I've been able to support them basically around it. But I might have asked again, the question a little bit, a little bit wrong. Like when you were coming through, as in your oh, sorry, mate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Um, who did I have? I had Bob Carter when I was younger, uh, who obviously went on and coached the Black uh, Black Caps. He was a really good coach. Um, but again, I'm just trying to think who's I at school? Who do I have? We have a lot of coaching then, to be fair. Um, probably I, I probably had mostly kind of old school coaches, but they were good at what they did in the sense of that relationship piece. I mean, Dennis Aberhart was really good when he when he coached Canterbury, and I was kind of just below that in the kind of the bees, but he was always a guy who was very good at again forming those relationships, and, and he did very well when he did coach the Black Caps with, with them again, very good relationship stuff, but. Um, probably no one that stands out in the sense of um, defined me as a player, but I think I just had good coaches around me who probably allowed me to be me. Yeah, I know that's that's cool. Um, what's one bit of advice you'd give a young John starting out in his in his career again if you were to do this all over again? Yeah, someone asked me the other day actually. So 
Look, there's all that cliche stuff. It's, it's fine saying you not necessarily passionate about, but you love doing. And I was really lucky that I always love working with people and particularly young people and I love sports. So, and it wasn't like at 20, I'm going, this is where I want to be. Even though when I was probably at 40, I didn't know I was going to be where I'm sitting now. It's still evolving. So it is kind of that cliche stuff. Find things you're really interested in and, and, and follow, follow your nose with that and be okay with it being a little bit scary at times. Um, it's going to take a lot of hard work and everyone knows that. It's nothing it comes easy. Um, surround yourself with good people. Uh, and I can't stress enough, I've had some amazing mentors and I've still got amazing mentors in my life who um, have supported me and still do support me um, around it. But there's a lot of people that say you won't be able to do it. Um, you see, you have a choice of listening to them or actually going, well, I'm just going to follow my notes. Um, and I think if, you, if within reason, if you really want to do it, you've got a good chance of achieving it or getting close to achieving it. So find things that you enjoy that you don't necessarily have to be good at, um, but make yourself good at them. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's that's wicked advice. Um, so you just talked to you about you're starting camp with um, with Emma, but say for our coaches listening in, what would be your go to activity if you tomorrow you've got your team turning up? What would you be doing? Um, buying food, sitting down, and just connecting. That, that is something I can't stress enough. Um, you know, often when we get teams together, the first thing we do is we test them. Uh, and we see what they're up to, and then we judge them from that. Well, let's let's build the relationships first before we start. And I know that there has to be certain orders around this, but how do we just take the time to get around your team and have some one on ones and get a feel for it, and, and just be clear about who what we're about and, and what we want to be doing. And I think you, you create that sense of safety early. Um, people will tend to be a little bit more vulnerable if you don't create that sense. I know some teams your time poor might be. A, six-week program you've got well then you know the old is abraham lincoln said you know if you had six hours to to cut down a tree you spend the first four hours sharpening his axe and i think it's the same analogy here you know if you've got a short time to be with the team spend the most time engaging with them because they're not going to learn if they don't feel safe it's as simple as that yeah from a biological point of view from the brain point of view if they don't feel that sense of belonging they don't feel safe they're not going to learn as quickly as if they do. So the first thing you do is get to know your athletes. I can't if you only if you've listened to this podcast and I remember one thing is build relationships with the athletes first yeah. and foremost. Oh, beautiful. And our last um, our last question: What does being a coach mean to you? What has been a coach or a good coach? A coach, like for you, you, you being the coach. What does you being the coach? What does that mean to you? Look, I think any coach is a really privileged position because you are changing lives and you're influencing lives. So we've got to be really clear on the, on the roles you have is um, you have influence over people and how do you make that influence positive but still real? I mean, this isn't about touchy-feely, everyone's a winner, everyone gets a certificate because that's not helpful either. But how do you um, take be awareness of the, the impact you can have on people and see it as a privilege. I mean, it's a great opportunity to, to make a change in someone's life because you get to create someone who loves their sport and next minute they join that club and they become that lifelong club member. It's good for the club, it's good for the community, it's good for that person. So, you know, enjoy what you're trying to do. But again, you have a great opportunity to influence people and it's a, it's a privileged position. Oh no, that's awesome. And that's a um, great way to to wrap up this awesome um podcast look i just want to say thank you very much again apologies i couldn't be there at the at the workshop liz um liz and michael held the um port really well so again thank you very much for being so um 
So I guess generous with your time for that. And then again, generous with your time for today of my page of notes are just sprawled out everywhere. So <laughs> I've learned I learned a whole whole lot. And um again, like I just love the way that you help I guess people and hopefully people that are listening in when this goes out start rethinking around what they're doing and what does best practice look like for them now moving forward so um, yeah this has been wicked thank you and uh, look thank you people are listening thank you for all their work they're doing because if you're a coach um, thank you and again Ricky thanks for the work you're doing because if we can get this right you know it's it's great for everyone yeah yeah wicked cool thank you very much thanks mate see you soon see ya Podcast for 2022. Uh, we'll be back in the new year with some exciting new guests, new perspectives around what we can do as coaches, parents, and just general lovers of the game to help continue the growth of our, our beautiful game. So, uh, big massive thanks also has to go out to all our great guests that we've had this year. Um, just being so open about sharing their knowledge and experience to to our community. So, I hope everybody's managed to pick up some gold nuggets from from all of them um but a big massive thanks also has to go out to uh an unsung hero he's been the producer of this podcast and he's our comms man here at uh the crfu and that's mr josh bamber so big massive shout out to him um it was supposed to be six or seven episodes when we first discussed doing uh doing the podcast we've now done 14 I just keep recording and sending them to him and he keeps doing what he does and making sure it gets out to you guys. So big massive um, hats off and mahi to you, Josh. Thank you very much. And yeah, we hope you guys have a great off season um, and to fill in those times when you, those long road trips or while you're mowing the lawns or something like that, we've got some bonus um, potties getting sent out to you as well. So they're just from some webinars that we've had earlier on in the year. So we hope you enjoy those as well. Um, and look forward to you guys having a great off-season. So we'll see you in 2023. Enjoy your time, and thank you very much for listening to Canterbury Rugby's Coaches Corner podcast.